Welcome, everybody. It's uh, From the Jingweeds, the Golf Course Superintendents podcast. It's our first episode. We're going to launch here. We've been talking about this for quite some time. My name is Matt, and I am a golf course superintendent here in Phoenix, Arizona. And I'm alongside with my partner, Dan, who's also a golf course superintendent here in Phoenix, Arizona. Dan, welcome to the show. Matt, happy to be here, man. We've been talking about a long time. It's a long time coming. Looking forward to get this thing rolling. Yeah, it has been. It's uh, We started all in a conversation one day, I think over lunch, and I had uh, just listened to probably Joe Rogan or the Spit and Chicklets, you know, any of the favorites out there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you guys are all listening to, but that's kind of where we lean to. And uh, a little bit of inspiration, I thought, you know what, we could kind of do our form of this, only let's bring the golf course superintendent side of golf to the people we hear or we hear or we see. Uh, a lot of golfers out there doing their thing about the game itself, but never about, you know, kind of the guys that put on the real behind the scenes to give them the arena to play their game on. So, uh, you know, without anything else, I'd like to, uh, you know, Dan, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got started into this industry. Yeah, so I'm 36, uh, married, couple kids, living here in Phoenix. Um kind of my story goes back to after graduation I went in the army went to basic training with the intent army reserves I was going to go go to basic training start semester of school and then get things rolling just so happens in the middle of basic training September 11 happens so uh kind of changed the course of of my life in that sense that you know now we're moving into a time of war but I mean that has nothing to do with the turf grass side other than I didn't really know what I was going to do out of college I just went as a general studies major, thought maybe architecture. Well, this drags on for a year. So there was no golf course like work Didn't, as a youth as you never no. landscaping, oil. anything? Changed oil. Shout out Valvoline. Nice. If you live, I... I didn't even work on a golf course. I liked golf. I didn't play a ton of golf. I mean, I love the game, but like I said, it's expensive, you know, and uh, so I didn't play a ton. I knew I liked it, but it wasn't even a thought. I wanted to do architecture. Well, I mean, fast forward a year, 2003, we go to war. I'm gone. I come back. How many How many times did you go? So over the course of my time in the Army, it was three times. So the whole time, it's like I can't go to architecture school because that's another five years. So I got, I'm like, I got to do something. Well, then I'm looking at the the horticulture side, you know, because I was into to being outside. I was into into that stuff, and I t- ended up taking a horticulture class in my general studies time. And and one of the times we go and visit the baseball field in Nebraska. I was going to say where where is this located? What school are you going to at this point? So I'm at, I'm at the University of Nebraska. Okay, grad. So and horticulture is uh, top notch out there, growing. Pretty, I mean, whatever they huge, grow out right? there, because. There's not much there but a college and a few golf courses and <laughs> some... Still hammer in the Midwest. Yeah. Still I mean, hammer in the Midwest. I'm just trying to figure out what it is. Just learning, just learning. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> oh so anyways, you're at University of Nebraska. So I'm there, blah, blah, blah. Um, we go visit the baseball fields. One of my classes and the dude was a turf grass major management or turf grass management major. So... You know, I was like, well, I'm into this. Like, I love sports. I love going to the Husker games. I'm like, that sounds like a pretty good gig. You can just chill out here. So 
I go on deployment again in the middle of the deployment. I, I, I said, I really, that's what I want to, I want to pursue. I, I want to do what that dude's doing. Yeah. He's got it figured out. So then, you know, I was lucky in the fact that I've been dragging this out for so long that I, I actually found out what I wanted to do. I present the idea to my wife and she, my wife now, girlfriend at the time, and she thinks no, I'm insane. She looked at me like I had a dick in my forehead. <laughs> yeah. You want to be... A yeah. turf grass. What? What are you gonna do? Mow lawns? Yeah. And what I'm are you like, gonna do? Chill Cut out. Grass. Chill out. Yep. Nothing to do but mow grass. Yeah. You're just gonna go mow grass. And I'm like, well, listen, I'm into this. So, make the commitment. Uh, go. I go to get deployed again. Get back. And uh, at this time, I've only got like a year left of school. Whatever. And you're I how go, old at this point? Whew, so yeah. this is probably 2000. I went deployed in 08. So now I'm. I don't know, 28. Dude, cut this, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it's 2008. I was 28. Okay. Yeah. So it's I'm 28 years old. I've been in college forever. That can't be right. You're struggling, man. No. Oh, one. No, I'm 25. 25, 26. We'll call it Andy. Put this in, Andy. <laughs> So I'm 25, 26 at the time. Um, no, I lost it. So you're at school, you know, you're 25, 26. You've gotten back yeah. into the university. You know, I finally figure out what I'm going to do. Okay. 25 years old. 18-year-old Dan. Clueless. Yeah, right. In the same boat. So I, I feel extremely lucky like this got drug out because I probably would have been like a businessman. Right. And stuck some way you in a cube. And I'd be in a cube. Working from yeah. home right now, for Work, sure. Yes. Just smashing a fax machine with a baseball bat. Yeah. Right. Looking at, staring at a golf course, probably yeah. right in my face. So, I, so I, uh, I've got basically once like year of school left, I got to get an internship in yeah. or I'm not going to graduate. So I, I apply for an internship with the Milwaukee Brewers and, uh, everything's lining up. I do the interviews. Like they even call my advisor. Like I'm going to the, I'm going to go do the mound at the Brewers. Right. Like it's going to be awesome. Yeah. Milwaukee's great. Um, that basically comes down to like, send your, send your, uh, application and then we'll, uh, you know, what's done is done. So I send off my application. I hear nothing for like same two thing months. Happen, same thing happened to me. I'll get into that later with the dam- nothing. diamondbacks. Three months go by. I get it returned to sender. Not enough postage. So now we got like two months Yeah, and I got to have an internship. Well, my brother at the time was living in Kansas City. I start calling up golf courses in Kansas City. And I, or, or no, I applied at Overland Park. They say I'm good to go. So I get the job at OP. Whatever reason, at the end of the semester, they, they call me and say I, my position's terminated. I'm not going to be able to work there. So now I'm like two weeks away from summer. And oh, I, got nothing. I cold call every golf course in, in Kansas City. And so basically I've gone from, I'm going to go do mounds at the brewers to I'm cold calling every, yeah, I need an internship. Right. Well, lo and behold, James Kennedy answers the phone. He calls me back and he says, let's do it. I'll give you a shot. You know, it was just going to be a greenskeeper one position. Right. He needed a guy. I needed the work. I needed the internship. So what I thought was going to be baseball and field turf for me, because that's what was my passion, not yeah. even knowing that like golf was going to be an option. Now I'm I'm interning in a golf course and and it was it's an unbelievable thing how like way how things work out yeah right because 
like I'm, I'm thankful every day that right. I don't work 100 hour weeks yeah, at the exactly. Brewers Company. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. Like I work at a golf course and it's unbelievable and I love the game. And so basically I parlayed that internship to being an assistant there in, at Iron Horse. And then, and then I make my way to, to California and then eventually here to in Arizona. And it's been, it's been awesome. Oh, nice. So um, you were at Indian Wells. Out in uh, Palm Springs for how long? A couple years you lived there with the wife? Three years in Kansas City and then three years in Indian Wells. And then now I've been here. Actually, Saturday marks the fourth year that I've been here at Riverdale. So um, in this travel, uh, is there anybody that you still look back to as, you know, maybe somebody that, you know, a kind of a mentor type person, you know, maybe the first superintendent you ever worked for? Oh, yeah. It's it's James, hands down, no question. James, yeah. That dude is one of the hardest working guys I've ever met, and he knows his stuff. Okay. You know? Yeah. And nice. He, I mean, he guided me. I, I went from an intern, and he guided me. Basically, set me up everything I've done. And then Indian Wells, it just, it just continued. I, I mean, I got a good, you know, a good job with Brian Hampson. Took a shot on me. Worked with him. Got, got the chance. Who's now a VP for the company I work for. Okay. So he moved yeah. up, and uh, he taught me a ton of stuff. And then I got. Another dude, Rick, who just let me do my thing and, you know, let me make mistakes and let me figure it out. And, you know, he just guided me. And then so that that basically is everything. Everybody that I met, I, I feel extremely lucky because everybody in my met in my path, like gave me something that was going to put me in the position I'm in today. Right. Right. That's awesome. That's it's uh, it's uh, pretty cool to follow guys that are hard workers and they kind of show you the way, um, you know, as I'll kind of get into how I got into this. I um, grew up as a landscaper, um, had a cousin who was who went to the University of Massachusetts at uh, Stockbridge and got his degrees only, he's maybe eight years older than me. He's actually my second cousin. But uh, kind of grew up with him landscaping around my family's house with his dad and uh, everybody else. My dad's a mechanic, um, uncles are mechanics. Uh, it's kind of in that side of my dad's side of the family to kind of be a grease monkey. But I had this uncle and this cousin who landscaped and they just, it looked like it was fun. It was, you know, you got a little bit of a workout. The key was you were outside all the time and they didn't seem to be dealing with people. So to speak, you know, kind of face to face selling them something or whatever it is. And, uh, I kind of, you know, lean towards them a little bit and then as I got older 16 years old now I'm working for my cousin and uh 16 through 18 you know uh 19 going into college I'm still landscaping loving it and I uh, had no idea what I wanted to do out of high school like everybody else and I went to a community college and while I was away there kind of got into the fitness you know really started working out of the gym and mountain biking and tried the running thing that's boring as hell to me so I could never do that uh you know running on a treadmill I don't know just different and I uh decided that I was going to get into uh physical education I was going to be a gym teacher that was my thought I I can see you with a whistle yeah right up my alley screaming at little kids right just exactly what I needed so I get into that and you know I go through a couple years and then I have to do um you know my student teaching And the first day I go to observe a class and we're second graders and we're going to teach basketball today. So I'm sitting on the sidelines, got my notepad, and I'm going to watch this guy teach second graders how to play basketball. And I'm thinking, this is going to be a show. 
you know, watching these little kids. And I'm thinking, how's he going to line them up, put them into position? These kids have nothing to do with that. And the guy says, well, first thing we need to know is how many people are in the class today? Okay, we have 28 students. That means we need 32 basketballs. And I'm like, what? And and he says, yeah, and I said, hold on here. 32, that's more balls than kids. I'm like, why do we, I'm thinking to myself, why do we need so many goddamn balls? For this game, this, it's math. basketball. It's not a math class, it's a PE. Right, exactly. We don't have to add them up. In exact, <laughs> right. So I'm thinking to myself, what's going on? And the guy says, well, it's so everybody's involved. He's like, we're going to play a game and we're, everybody's going to have a basketball and the other four basketballs are in case someone loses their ball, <laughs> it's close by. And I'm like, nope, definitely not part of this. There's no way I'm going to be part of and I think that's when the whole thing started, where everybody gets a participation participation trophy. You know, it was going to be the good athletes were going to excel at that. And the poor kids that probably excel at band, you know, were never going to get it. So just put them in band classes. I'm, I'm thinking just give them music, give them art, let them get out of here. They don't want to be in this classroom. So I was like, no way am I going to be part of that. So I end up kind of... F- fizzling out in college spent four years they had a blast and got nothing out of it because every time every summer i went home i was landscaping and i was like this is where i need to go had some buddies that decided they were going to move to arizona and i said all right i'll come and visit came and visited and i said to myself when i got home i said i have eight months and i'm out of here i'm going to save as much money and i'm going i'm going to go figure it out one buddy ran a um a vitamin store here in town and he said you got a job as soon as you move here well back home in massachusetts here i am and i have a friend of mine that i worked with for a couple years he says i'm going to buy a landscape company you want to buy in with me and now i'm like oh man i just made a decision i'm moving to arizona i'm saving as much money i said i'll help you get it started but i'm leaving so time comes pack my bags and i'm like all right five years in arizona and i'm I can go anywhere after that. Were you a golfer at any time on the golf course? Yeah, I played a little bit as a kid. Actually, I played a fair amount as a kid. My family was a, uh, we had a family membership at the local nine hole uh, golf course down the road. Played a lot in the summertime. Sometimes we were dropped off there, but it was more just being outside with your buddies. You know, Mm -hmm. we're 13, 14 running around on a golf course. You know, how much golf were we playing? I mean, we were playing a ton, but. I wish I would have taken it more serious because I'd be a much at, better golfer. I look golfer. at my game now and I think of 14-year-old Dan swinging a wrench and it's like, I can't imagine what was going on there. Yeah. How much cheating. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The bunker. Oh, yeah, for sure. Foot wedge straight out of the bunker. <laughs> exactly. We're not in that shot. Yep. And I probably needed like driver, wedge, putter, maybe like a seven iron. Yeah. And I yeah. had a bag full yeah, of bag full. dragging it. Yeah, dragging it around. <laughs> because it was the just push, a single The push strap. carts were like single wheeled. It, it was awful. You know. <laughs> you just had the one strap. Your dad wasn't giving you, you were not getting 12 bucks for a cart. Dude. Yeah, you're, exactly. You're you had to it. pay for carts back there. <laughs> That's here. It's included. So anyways, I, you know, I played a lot of golf, um, kind of in college, got way away from it because it was my turn to stop paying for it. So that's really when I picked up the mountain bike, figured I'll just buy one of these and I can go do this for free anytime I want out in the woods and got away from it. Anyways, moved myself here to Arizona. I spent a couple of years in the sports supplement industry and the whole time 
for I started off in the stores and I would just stare out the window thinking I have to get out there. You know, people are like, you're nuts. It's 110 degrees out. I said, I don't care. I have to be outside. I can't deal with people anymore. You know, I'm selling vitamins and protein shakes to meatheads. And I'm like, no, that's not going to work out. So I find out about this turf school here in town and it's uh, Mundus Institute, which is now closed. They did golf course, uh, so turf management, golf uh, management, which was the pro shop side of it, casino dealing. In medical billing, that wait, was wait, wait. in you shocked, shocked. It's closed. Casino dealing, yeah, casino dealing. Yeah, I went to school with casino dealers, which was crazy to me because <laughs> I just cool. thought that you just cool. kind of went and practiced in front <laughs> of them. And the yeah. best thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, what do you learn at casino dealing? Like, how to how to do the games? Jack yeah, all trades. the games, all the rules of the games. You're the crafts guy. Do you get yep. like the military, like when they decide what you're going to be, or you're just you're a crafts <laughs> no, guy? I don't you're know. Solitaire. You're this guy. I have no idea how you're that pick was a number done. guy. <laughs> but it was also that in medical billing, and uh, so I went to school for that. Just got my turf degree. It was uh, every day for four months, and it's the equivalent to associate's degree as far as hours wise. But all I thought to myself, all I need is a piece of paper. I had enough confidence in my landscaping ability. That you get me on there, my work ethic, you get me on there and I'll just love it. So I end up applying, I get my ticket and I start applying all over the place. No one's hiring, no one's hiring. I'm like, man, this is brutal. So to a month after I graduated, I finally get hired at a golf course, Western Skies out in Gilbert, Arizona. And I work underneath a guy, sorry, I can't remember his last name. His first name's Mike and the assistant Brandon. I'll never forget this kid. He slept, lived in the shop. And I know that goes on more than a lot of people know how many superintendents or assistants actually live at the golf shop or at the maintenance yard. An assistant in, what is it, 1967 or at Western Sky? Uh, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, this kid lived there, lived on a little love seat, and he was like 6'4", like 120 pounds. It was the funniest goddamn thing I've ever seen. So anyways, I worked there for three months, and the, the guy, Mike, that hired me, he had said to me, he goes, man, he's like, you're way above what I can do here for you. And he's like, don't be ashamed if you got to keep on looking. Keep on looking, but I'll keep you here. So kind of cool that he, was, he knew I was gone the second I had a chance. So... I would go every day on the computer onto TurfNet and look for job, look for job. Finally, I see a job for spray tech at uh, Desert Highlands. Um, and I'm like, man, I, I've heard of that place. Uh, my teacher in school actually talked about the superintendent there a lot. And I was like, man, that's high end. First skins game uh, was 83 and 84. Uh, Nicholas Palmer, player, and Watson. Um, those were when they were played over Thanksgiving and it was the only golf that was on TV. So I had had this little bit of recognition of what this place was. So I threw my name in there and a day later I get the call from Phil Shoemaker. Uh, that guy, he's kind of known by a lot of people out here. And I will say I give everything that I ever knew or thought I knew about golf course maintenance to him. Um, he, we were He's an innovator. He was doing things a little bit crazy um, was what people saw, you know, spraying certain chemicals to kill out our ryegrass. 
uh, started this big top dressing, the fairways program, you know, and I'm just kind of just sucking it all in, sucking it all in there. Eight years later, I finally get my chance to be a superintendent and it's where I am today, uh, Desert Canyon Golf Club out in Fountain Hills, Arizona. Um, and like I said, Phil was my mentor. Um, I worked with another guy, Dave Cox, who was the other assistant. We used to call each other our work wives. Um, we were both single, had nothing else to do but work. So it was good because Phil kind of always wanted us to be there all the time. And it worked out for us because we had nowhere else to go. <laughs> you know, it was either that go home and spend more money at the bar than we probably earned. So it worked out that, you know, I could spend a lot of time up there doing really kind of what we wanted to do. He gave us the keys and let us drive it for a shoot for six of my years there. You know, so that was cool too. It was always, the leash was real long with him. He knew what we were going to do. He knew what needed, obviously needed to be done. The whole thing was a test. And I look back now at some of the things and it's like, man, the whole time he was just letting us literally do because he taught us so much when we were just starting out with him and the way it needed to be done. So here's how it is. And now you just go do it. And uh, like I said, I that was the best experience. And I definitely wouldn't be where I am as a superintendent and have half of the knowledge if I didn't work for him. And I think it was a lot because of his teaching style yeah. as letting you letting you fail. I mean, I think you'd, you'd agree with me. You're only as good as your assistants, right? Right. I mean, those dudes are kind of... I mean, Brian gave me a long leash. Yeah. Rick, he's like, look, I'm here to let you make mistakes, just not too extreme. Right. You go out, you figure it out. Yeah. I'm I'm not going to let you blow it up. Right. Exactly. You got to get out there and you got to. And you got to do it and you got to show that you're willing to do everything I say. Because sometimes it was uh, Fridays, maybe not Fridays. He wasn't that much of a dick. Thursdays. You know, when you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get out and, hey, maybe I do have day off tomorrow. It's like, hey, uh, it's raining the forecast tonight. Why don't we uh, go and gypsum the greens? And it's like, yeah, uh, it's four o'clock <laughs> and we've been here since five. So yeah. what do you mean? He's like, yeah, it's rain's coming. I mean, this is the best time to do it. It's you got to go do it. And you're like, holy shit. And you grab me and Dave, get out the spreaders and bitch for like the first three holes and it starts sprinkling and we're laughing and having a, you know, what else are we going to be doing? You know, at the time it was the worst thing. While you're doing it becomes, you make the best out of it, which was, is really part of this whole job of being outside and, you know, working with a bunch of guys and gals is just have as much fun as you can do. And it's amazing how much you get done when you just look at it on the bright side and have a good time with it. But then we find out, you know, maybe that night we got, you know, three quarters of an inch of rain. It was like, man, that gypsum app was needed right then. Perfect. And now you understand. And, you know, and today I still think of these things. It's like, I'll see something like rain or, coming in. And you think about it. Now, do I do it as often seen, as I should? Have seen rain and go, ah, I should have put that yeah, gypsum out should have done that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Spraying some calcium would have been great today. Yeah. Man, yeah. Wedding agents, water. whatever you need. Yeah. So. <laughs> So yeah, if there's rain coming uh, in the future at any point, I'll have to remember to 
Go put tell something your assistant out there. Put yeah, tell my assistant, <laughs> hey, we need to do this and keep them there until 4 o'clock. <laughs> yeah, which is crazy. Let's get into that. How often do you keep your, other than overseeding, how often are your assistants staying as late as you did as an assistant? Oh, now here in Phoenix? Other than overseeding, maybe never. Unless yeah. we got like a, an extreme circumstance. Like we got a broken main line. It's Correct. Yeah, degrees, yeah. We got to get that But other than fixed. that, you kind of let them... As long as we get what we need to yeah. get done today, it's all going to be there tomorrow. I mean, but I mean, it's a di- Phoenix is such a different environment. We're like at Iron Horse or when I was an assistant back in Kansas City, like our our growing season wasn't 365 days a year either. You know, we got five months of snow or not growing grass. So you got a, a time to catch your breath. Right. And it's like, all right, I can do till 430 or I got to go hand water until five o'clock. Like I can make that happen because I know what's coming on the winter. We're going to have that time. Here's 365 days. We're growing grass all the time. Yep. We got two growings a year. It's yep. nonstop. There's no break. And, and in Arizona, it doesn't rain a ton. We don't get, I mean, we do get rain yep. in the monsoons, but it seems like most times it's like overnight. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So we're not getting a ton of those, those breathers, those four month breathers. So it, it seems selfish to me to make those guys grind it out all that long when, when there's no end in sight. Right. Yeah. Especially it's like we get into this time where we're just doing kind of a maintenance. The ryegrass is there. It's doing its thing. The yep. marina's growing up. Or is blowing up. We're not having to do a ton of fertilizer. We're not going to, you know, most of what we're doing is detail, landscaping, edging cart pass, you know, where it's like, we don't need to be here. We we don't have to hand water greens this afternoon. You guys, let's go. When I first started uh, at Desert Highlands, there was bent grass greens. And uh, yeah, afternoon hand watering on those things. So I guess, yeah, I was brought into it a little bit different, you know, in the Arizona arid desert, you know. And we're still growing bent grass greens. Uh, yes. I mean, that's a different thing. We don't, you know, I've got Bermuda greens and if Bermuda is a water weed. Just keep it wet and it's going to, it's going to save you. Yeah. It's, uh, then we converted, we converted those, uh, they were a, a one. Oh, sorry. A four bent grass greens and, uh, with crazy salt issues, uh, reclaimed. What's your elevation there? 2000? Uh, it is, I think it's 16. Or 1,700 feet at number 16T, okay. I want to say, is what it is. So I'm not, not great, quite sure. Not about. great for, for big grass. Yeah, no. They um, they always used to say there's like a Mason-Dixon line up there, and that's Pinnacle Peak Road. Anything north of Pinnacle Peak, you can grow bent grass. Anything yeah. south of Pinnacle Peak, uh, oh, sorry, Thompson Peak, you can, you know, it's basically yeah. uh, Bermuda grass only. When I first got here, in I Desert might, Highlands was, was right on that line. Above two thousand feet, you're pretty good, and yeah, and you don't want to be, unless you want to be hand water until five thirty. Right, and then we com- for rain. to uh, compromise it even more. It was uh, reclaimed water, and it was really bad reclaimed water, uh, yeah. which you deal with uh, a lot. So, but since then, we or at Desert Highlands, they had converted the greens back over to uh, Mini Verde. And in that time, um, we had a little fight with the city to have them uh, redo the technology in the wastewater treatment plant. And there was, yep, there was some money put in. uh, It's uh, money put in by the golf courses and money put in by the city 
to help put that all together and it raised their cost of money. But the water's much, much better. Uh, way better than yours is at your golf course now. Um, so that also helped. But the Bermuda grass greens up there are awesome. Awesome. So I guess back to your golf course, Dan. Uh, what do you uh, what do you got going on this part of the year? Like what, what went on this week at your golf course as far as anything culturally you're continuing to do? To get that Bermuda grass going or thoughts on getting rid of the rye grass? So, I mean, right now it's kind of just, we're just growing grass. I've got 36 holes, so I'm just kind of looking forward to that first closure mid-May. So, I, I kind of don't do too much culturally, like not a ton of verticutting. We're going to go out pretty soon and do some light verticutting just to get mechanically remove some of that ryegrass right okay it's it's that time of year that we got to start open up right yeah uh to kind of give you guys a little bit of oversight on dan's property he has two golf courses 36 holes and one of the golf courses you do not overseed and one you do we've been doing a a flip-flop right next year we'll we'll, so my first two years we did both then we've alternated the last two and we're going to go back to both next year okay you're going to oversee both next year yep just tees, oh, fairways, and greens. Interesting. That's interesting. What uh, Was that a membership thing? They didn't like playing the uh, Bermuda grass? Or they just... They don't... I'll tell you what. My life would be a lot better if both of those golf courses were overseas. I mean, not better. The The playing conditions the members prefer... Yeah. I, I mean, you can't deny that when you have a nice standard ryegrass on the old outdoor Bermuda that the playing surface isn't perfect. Right, yeah. Like, it is... For those of you who hasn't played on a on the overseeded golf course, like it's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's some and of the a non overseeded when it goes it, dormant is not very awesome to play no, off of. No, I mean when the Bermuda grass, it's it's not growing. Uh, it's getting compacted with two hundred rounds a day, hundred rounds a day, one hundred fifty. There's a lot of compaction. Out, I mean when we open or when we were open for play, my height of cut was one inch. In the fairways, just in, just to in anticipation of the and right now it looks like it's mowed at three fifty. Right, yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, it's yeah. just starting to grow, green up now and fill in. But you know, mid February when it was we had fifty five frost delays and it looked like it was mowed at three fifty, and it it doesn't affect the playability to me. But I think mentally for the golfer that like seeing the green grass and yeah. not you know it's. I mean, it, it plays a game on, on some of their heads, and they refer the, the overseeded one, which is fine. I understand it. But, um, you know, I think – I don't think there's a big difference between the an cl- overseed and not. Does the club – do they sense a, a cost savings for not overseeding that other golf course? You know, is that yeah. doesn't outweigh their need to play off well, of? Well, I mean, when, uh, this all goes back to, to using the reclaimed water, right? We've got horrific water. We've got very high salts in the water, which creates a very big problem when you're trying to grow ryegrass. Yeah. It basically creates hydro- hydrophobia in in the root zone. But yeah, and then the soils are clay, and they're clay soils, soils, salty, hard water. Salt water. I don't know if anybody ever saw maybe an adobe hut that people that first settled out here in Arizona like lived in. Yeah, we're making that underneath they, our yeah, turf make every day. Out of this. Yeah, so I mean, we're making an adobe idea. houses underneath the turf, and we're From, supposed to grow grass on it. Just I've, to give you a backside of what we're dealing with. I've had to use a jackhammer to dig up fairway heads. At <laughs> so anyway, to I mean, 
and to credit to my membership, we have started a direction where we're going to start top dressing fairways at a heavy rate, half inch a year, yep. to try to mitigate this issue of horrible soil right, soils, yep. and then we got to start flushing salts. So we've we've continued. We started a program of top dressing, and then we were going to the the non overseeding was not so much a cost savings thing, but more of a let's get a healthy stand of Bermuda grass yep. for transition because. Our transition as a result of that horrible soil and that horrible water yeah. is my transitions are brutal. And yeah. we've been able to kind of turn the tides and reduce the amount of sod every year and, and continue to build on that. So it was more of a let's get a healthy stand of Bermuda grass for overseed. And for those of you who don't overseed, if you don't have a healthy stand, basically all we do is grow Bermuda grass in so we can overseed into it. Right. Yep. Because you can't overseed into bare dirt. Yeah. So we're creating a stand for the overseed. So. If we got large passes of bare dirt, we have to have sod them or yep. we can, we can just, I always look at it. Like when I explain it to my membership, when you have some of that Bermuda grass out there is like three weeks old. It took me all summer long yeah. and now we're in September and I've got a full stand. So that baby th- plant doesn't have roots. It's, it's got no energy a bunch to of survive energy any of because this. it's yeah. barely alive. And then I just whack it down. Yeah. So if we can get it, to skip an overseed and get to a year old, now I've got a more healthy, more yeah. stored carbohydrates, more root zone where I can get a better transition, which I guess would be the hope, right? Right, yeah. So the money issue is really no, just like, it was, no, it was not money related. More of let's get it, let's get back to okay. getting all these standard Bermuda and, and a good overseed base. All right, yeah, because a lot of the golf courses that you find that are overseeding or not overseeding turf, you know rough areas or maybe a kind of non-playable area it's all money related because you know otherwise they'd probably just do it wall to wall like my golf course is set up to really be wall to wall i don't really have much rough it's you know narrow fairways um it's like one cut of rough around then my green surround so we we've Threw around the idea not to overseed, and then I looked at the irrigation system. Some of my, you know, perimeter heads actually water the middle of the fairways because they're so narrow. So I just had said to my owner, I was like, hey, it's going to be really difficult, and it's going to come in looking like shit, and it's just not going to, it's not worth doing this. You know, let's spend the money, and it's been that way, you know, I don't even think he's brought that up in five years, you know, we're not going to overseed. It's uh, just one of those things that I deal with. But so I think, I mean, they had, they had switched to just doing tees, fairways, and greens before I got there. And I think just looking at the fairway transition, that I, that there was nothing left in the roof. Yeah. Could you, like, if if I'm coming into transition and my heights are at 350 and I've got a 50% stand. Yeah. I couldn't imagine if the heights were an inch or an inch and a half in the rough and trying to transition that. Yeah. Again, if, if you don't, if you haven't done any overseas or transitions, like the higher right of later the higher height of cut ends up being a terrible transition. Yeah. That's basically what I got going on at my golf course right now is um, we've spent the past couple weeks lowering those heights and those roughs, lowering the fairway heights, trying to, you know, give some sunlight to that Bermuda grass. So we have, we just spent last week, we verticut all fairways, all roughs. Um, I solid tine tees, open up some holes, get some heat in there. Uh, help those things transition along a little bit better, uh, relieve a bunch of the compaction, and uh, did that around also in the approaches and callers two weeks ago. And uh, then I've lowered heights. I think my fairways are at 400 or so, a little bit below 375, 400. That's pretty bad that I can't remember that, but it's no big deal. It's short. 
But um, your assistant knows. And then, yeah, my assistant has no idea. My mechanic <laughs> would know. My mechanic would know. My assistant has no idea. Um, and then roughs are down to three quarters of an inch. So seeing a lot, you know, I came down quick on those. So it kind of almost acted as like a scalp to the rye grass. Seeing a lot of Bermuda grass underneath there. Right now, um, I'm feeling pretty good the way the transition's going. Greens are probably 60%. Uh, Bermuda grass, uh, the Poa Triv is that we overseed on there. That's pretty much gone. I've been running groomers um, two times a week, just a little bit below the height of cut, almost acting as a little baby verticutter, uh, pulling out some of the thatch layer, uh, ripping out hopefully some of that Poa Triv, and then just opening it up and tickling that Bermuda, promoting some growth. So those things are coming along great. My fear like it is every year is why are we driving around the end of March, beginning of April, looking at it going, this is going to come out really good. I have Bermuda grass everywhere. Why do we have nothing in June? That's a, Cause it's hot and it's dry. Yeah. But we don't have any do, you th- do you think sometimes you have more Bermuda? Is it just the illusion or what is it that, why I, do I see Bermuda grass I always hang it on everywhere hope. right <laughs> now, hope like, everywhere oh, in the fairways and I'm pumped. Yeah, but if you see, and then in June when everything sixty dies, plants, yeah, it's like all right, that looks like a lot. But when the rest of the, it just shows how much ragrass you have. Yeah, it, I think in, before we go any further, we need to probably talk about what transition actually is for those of you that don't, yeah, know. So just a quick overview because we'll probably dive deeper later on. But basically, every year we overseed our golf courses with ryegrass seed. So we have this stand of Bermuda grass that we grow in all summer. We come in the winter, we oversee that ryegrass. And then when we talk about transition, we're talking about transitioning from the Bermuda grass back, back, like removing the ryegrass and the Bermuda coming back. And that's not going out and, and seeding Bermuda grass at all. The Bermuda grass yeah, goes just, dormant underneath that ryegrass. And our hope is that Bermuda grass is going to wake back up and fill back in. Yeah. And, and you hear all the golfers, you know, the ones that are coming from the Midwest and, you know, wherever they're coming from, the Northeast, you know, we have a lot of Canadians out here. They come down here. And if you don't oversee that Bermuda grass, that's dead to them. That's yep. dead. It's just dead. Fill you in. It's alive. It's sleeping. That's all it's doing. It's like a big fat bear that crawls into a hole and goes in the nights for the okay. winter time. So please let you all know it's alive. It is alive. So that the transition period is stressful. I mean, you just praying. So anything we can do to eliminate ryegrass growth this time of year and start promoting the Bermuda grass, that base that we have for the summer, that's what we're doing. That's why we're talking about lowering heights or verticutting out that ryegrass is we're trying to open up that soil and get some heat in the soil some yeah. that battle is for sunlight that eliminate any crowding out of that ryegrass and, and get the Bermuda grass boo. Yeah, you know, yeah, Bermuda grass. So, yeah, the uh, one of the things that I kind of throw around in my head, it seems every year, is you know, I get out there, I get stuck at the verticata going, and I'm opening things up, and I'm doing it when it's 75 degrees and perfectly sunny and a nice cool breeze, which and is. Your ryegrass is probably the healthiest it's been all year. Yeah, and it's the healthiest it's going. And here I am trying to pull it out. But how much am I promoting growth of Bermuda of sorry ryegrass by doing all of this? That's one of those things that I kind of throw around. I know I have to get the Bermuda grass going. How much am I pushing that ryegrass now to get healthier and, and healthier? Healthier and healthier. And I'm, understand. 
killing my problem coming up here in June. Like here's comes my problem is I'm now making a healthy ryegrass at the time I'm trying to wake up a sleeping grass. Right. And do you fertilize? So are you going to, you put out, let's go put out a pound of nitrogen. Well, now you're fertilizing and you're fertilizing the ryegrass. Now it's even more robust. Now your transition's even shittier. Yeah. So it basically sounds like I should, I'd get more done by running my head straight into this garage door. Shut the water off. Yeah. (laughs) Or shut the water off. The old school way used to be (laughs) shut it off and let the ryegrass burn out and then turn it back on. The whole idea is your your Bermuda grass needs all that water. The worst part of it, we're not even, we can't really get any Bermuda going until it gets humid. Right. I mean, last year was brutal. Now it was you, cold in May. I punched greens. It took five weeks for those things to heal. Right. Yeah. I I do mine in June too, and it seemed last year it took. It actually it looked like I overseeded again because the triv had kicked back on you know and it was like whoa this is beautiful it's 80 degrees and breezy you know whereas typically june's out here we should start sniffing really into the hundreds on a consistent basis um back to that humidity thing the question um problem that we balance as well is here we're trying to create that humidity by overwatering at this point you know a lot of people oh that golf course is wet and you know end of april early may you know i personally i pound water i'm trying to create that humidity at that plant level by overwatering a little bit you know so i have had in past times complaints hey the golf course is real wet it's real wet and i'm thinking well i gotta i'm trying to do something here you know this is all part of the process so i'm trying to create that little humid layer right at the plant level and try to wake it up that way a little bit earlier so i do overwater in a playing sense, you know, it's not like it's sopping wet and you're splashing through the place, right. but it's probably 10% higher on the whole system than I would have it as a, you know, hard, firm, fast golf course, yeah. you know, just try trying to wake that whole thing up and get it growing. Um, what about as far as fertilizing, where do you come in is, you know, do you have a time that obviously you don't want to fertilize that ryegrass? Well, you do have to wake up that Bermuda grass. You got plant growth regulators going. You know, what do you do? You have a timing thing. Is it something nature? Is it temperatures that tell you? All right, now it's time. Now it's so, time to go. And I've always, since I've been here, we didn't spray out in California. So my first spray out was when I first got here, and it was golf course closes on May fifteenth. I'm going to go out two weeks earlier and spray it out so it's dead when we shut okay. down. I think my. I'm starting the ryegrass is dead. That doesn't kill yeah, the Bermuda grass. Ryegrass is dead. Cause I, so when we go to spray out, we're trying to eliminate that ryegrass competition right now. The Bermuda doesn't have any competition for nutrients, for sunlight. It can just grow. And, and yeah. so I'm trying to eliminate that with the ryegrass spray out. I've always transitioned my second golf course better. Cause my first one, I go out and spray out May 15th. Well, it's 85 degrees. Yeah. And I got no, no Bermuda. So now I got no growth. Humidity doesn't hit till July. So I think my thinking now is going to be changed to well, let the temperature dictate when I'm going to spray out. Okay. Let me get, if it takes till June till it gets 95, 100, then, or 80, you know, the soil temps at 85 degrees. Yeah. Uh, then that's what I'm going to go. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to go out in May and just say, all right, we're going to do it because 
we could still have a good playing surface if it's 80 degrees. I think we, in the last two years, we've seen the shift in the timing of everything. Look at look at the overseed this last year. It was freezing cold. Yeah, I know. We had one. frost. Yeah, we had frost. frost in the middle of my second one. Yeah, there's a couple took, golf courses that waited till the end of October. And here I was to both of them. I said, Jesus, that's awesome. You know, to go yeah. that late, it's going to be perfect. You know, yeah, which has typically been the case. You know, as far as weather patterns go, the perfect time to overseed your golf course is basically October 1st to October 10th is the date I always hear thrown around. Um, I'm early. I'm two weeks earlier than that. And then these guys, they were two weeks later. And it's like, oh, this is going to be perfect ryegrass growing. And four days into it, they get frost. It was a week to 10 days longer on that overseed. Yeah. That's crazy. I know those guys are struggling to it. And then thank God it kind of warmed up there in uh, November for us. You know, those guys. Oh, yeah. We were fine, but My you know, first it was shocking was awesome. seeing frost that early. Um, so I forgot where we were standing on that part of it. But um, so you're spray out. You're going to spray out the golf course. And then uh, in this, it basically as soon as you spray out, you're pumping fertilizers and things like that, getting some nitrogen out there. Yeah, to- I kind of try to preload it with a little bit of nitrogen when I, with the spray out. So there's something in the soil. For okay. Me. The ryegrass is out. And then half a pound a week until we're, until okay. we're growing in. Yeah. It, if if I spray out and I, and I look at the ground, it's... Looks like my car, my garage floor. Yeah, like we're pumping half pound a week. Right, but if I got an eighty percent on everything, you know, we'll just kind of push it with a little bit or maybe fertigation and okay. pump something through. Yeah, putting but, out some acids. You know, uh, yeah. we'll oh, get into this further down the road. But both of us are kind of new to a new product that's out there. We won't really get it on there. Um, I did run through my head that I'd like to maybe for that time bring him on here. Um, I think it would be interesting. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, he's a very smart guy, but I'm not sure if he'd be into this whole deal. But anyways, as we get a little bit further, we'll kind of dig deeper once we know a little bit more about these products that we're kind of using. It's not really a big secret. It's just I'm so new to it. I can't sit here and talk about it um, enough to really say what it's going to do. But hopefully we're going to save some water, save some money on uh fertilizers and nutrients for the plants because we're going to open those up from being bound up in the soils um so we'll get back to that at a later point but i kind of um in my past there i've used growth regulators rather than uh um really spraying out with chemicals i had some success when i was at desert highlands we were using a product Embark that's no longer around. Right. Um, growth regulator for the ryegrass doesn't touch the Bermuda grass. Uh, had great success with that. Spray it out, and you you spray it, slows down the ryegrass. You mow the ryegrass down. You almost scalp, scalp it, and then raise the heights right back up. And the Bermuda grass grows up over that, and that's basically choking out the ryegrass. Transitions were awesome. I was able to do that my first year at Desert Highlands. Um, haven't seen the product. It's uh, the by part, the byproducts of making the product too expensive, so they don't make it anymore. So now we're using, uh, you know, other chemicals. You know, there's a lot of choices out there to spray out with, but a lot of guys are using. It's all. I mean, it's a pick of the litter. It's really cost. Yeah. You know, we got some cheap ones out there that came out last year. Manuscript. A lot of guys playing around with that stuff. Um, but we're kind of 
maybe year two, year three of guys, a lot of people using it out on here. So we're still kind of play around the rates and everything. But as far as my fertilizer for um, Bermuda grass, depending on where I am with my rye grass, I really look, I uh, use kind of mother nature for my uh, calendar per se. I look at saguaro cactuses. Um, once I see their buds, I start thinking, okay, here it is. They start flowering. They shoot off these really nice white flowers. Typically, end of April. I think this year we're going to be into May with the cool season. Um, haven't seen any action. It's usually April 20th is when I see it. Um, and that kind of dictates my, whether it's going to be a chemical spray out or if I just start fertilizing a little bit heavier for the uh, Bermuda grass. And there's a little bit of, I guess, kind of battles here about that as far as, you know, I talked about you're spraying a lot of fertilizer or you're putting out a lot of fertilizers for your Bermuda grass, yet your ryegrass is eating that up. We came up, you know, talking years ago, it was, well, maybe if we juice this ryegrass so much with fertilizer and keep going out there and scalping it, we're just going to beat it out. It's going to not withstand, you know, the, the getting real fat and juicy from all the fertilizer and then getting hammered every day by a mower. Seemed to work maybe once or twice, but that was probably all the weather dictated that it really worked out. But uh, I just kind of go with that. But by now, I'm spraying out some chemical of some sort to kill that ryegrass. Uh, but like I said, I just use Mother Nature. It kind of really dictates me on changing, uh, I guess, my pattern as far as what grass I'm really yeah. growing now. A, yeah. You know, in my mind... I'm growing it all, but it's something's got to change. So you got to start focusing on one and who cares what happens to the ryegrass. It can sit there and cook over there in the corner. You know, right. hell, it could cook there in the middle of the fairway as long as I get some Bermuda grass underneath there. As long as you have Bermuda, don't cook. <laughs> yeah, so if you don't have Bermuda, don't cook. Please don't go away until all the golfers go when it gets to 110 degrees. Um, next week, 90 degrees, I guess, or maybe this weekend is what I saw, 90 degrees. So it's coming. Uh, we've had a very nice spring this year. Um, other than uh, we might as well dive into this another little bit. Uh, this whole coronavirus, it seems to maybe be slowing is what I heard a bit. Uh, so there's some more talk about some sports getting back out going. Uh, a lot more has, talk about baseball out PGA here. PGA has an event on the schedule. Who, the PGA play with, has yeah, an event on the schedule. In June, they want to play one without, without golfers. Yeah, that's going to be good. Um, yeah, we definitely need to get some sports back out. because I just uh, said they're going to play one without golfers, without fans. They oh, will be, yeah, without golfers. There's going to be fans and no that golfers. Awesome. Just, <laughs> all fans, no fans walking around cheering for <laughs> nobody. Caddies and fans, no golfers. <laughs> yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. Jesus That's Christ. really how you control Corona. <laughs> yeah. It's like natural selection if you show up as a fan. Yeah. I did see, um, what was it, um, South Korea had baseball last night, I believe. I, I think maybe it was yeah, with mannequins, mannequins in the stadium. Solid. Yeah, solid. And like 10 of them set up. Ended, first game ended in a walk-off home run in the 10th inning. Uh, sorry, the 12th inning. Walk-off home run. They pan to the stands, and it's like 11 mannequins standing sell, there. And do not, they sell lemonade like yeah, Grandma they, made? They do not sell lemonade like Grandma made. <laughs> Uh, so they need the guy. They, this guy ain't working. He can get over to South yeah, Korea. Yeah, he can get so, over to South Korea. Yeah, so give him a ride over. 
can sling it all over the place. <laughs> I did hear uh, possibly no fans at any sporting events until fall of 2021 because unless there's a, a vaccine. That's the only way it's going to happen. I did hear everybody saying that. The you know, anything, concerts, um, sports gatherings, as far as like stadium sports, you know, anything like that. Um, they, they're saying that we can possibly see sports, but without the gatherings until the fall of 2021. Are you yeah, do baseball here? When they, they're talking, I heard here they're Florida? getting closer and closer. Um, I think Major League Baseball talked with the governor of, or they're not going to even ask the governor of Florida. If they can play there. Um, don't know what that whole deal is. It's probably some political issue with who's running yeah. the show down there. and But whatever it is, you know, it's sad to say, but it probably is that. Um, so they're talking, doing uh, baseball out here in all the spring training facilities. Um, at least we'll get something. Uh, triple headers at Chase Field. Right? Yeah, triple headers. Let's talk Chase about, Field. again, baseball on 110. How's that going to go in Phoenix? I don't know. They're, we've all we played softball in it. I know it's another Architects. different game. You know, people golf in it. Okay, I imagine they're not going to have a you know matinee on a Saturday afternoon you, in July. But straight up, I'd rather play in this than in Kansas City when it's ninety eight ninety eight percent. Yeah, humidity. Humidity. that's not fun. Absolutely, I would definitely agree with that. And hey, these they're athletes in my eyes. They're athletes. You know, pick any other country where they're playing sports outside. You know, it's just as hot as other places. You yeah, know? I'd be like complaining about playing hockey outside and it's too cold. Yeah, <laughs> wild, <laughs> wild Play in the summer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, where they all grew up on ponds in the middle of Minnesota <laughs> playing, and now they're bitching that they got to play in you, you know play Soldier Field, Moose Jaw. <laughs> yeah, negative thirty. Yeah. Jesus, these guys. Um, so, anyways, uh, we, so we got sports. Uh, coronavirus slowing down, and uh, hopefully, we can get back to a little bit of normal life. Golf course, uh, yours is privately owned, and no guests, no guests now. Cups are upside uh, we down. Just, yeah, cups are no upside down. No bunker rakes. I think everybody, every golf course, is yeah. The same, right? I think Some they're all doing that. Pool noodle or yep. PVC cup upside down. No yeah. rakes. So what do you think? Where do you think that's going to take our maintenance? Uh, you think this pool noodle thing, how long does that last? Will we see fans inside of arenas before or after we see bunker rakes? After. You'll see fans after. You think after next year, yeah. overseeing, we'll we're putting rake. bunker rakes back out? Yeah, I think so. I okay. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't even know what the world looks like after this. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is every grocery store have plexiglass from now on? Yes. Can we not shake hands. Uh, shaking hands is over. Nope. I'll Forever. shake your hand. I'll shake a lot of people's hands, but I'm ding dong. Um, but yeah, I think it's over. I think that's definitely over. I think the plexiglass stays. You think shaking hands at the end of a golf round is over? No. All right. Forever? For, uh, it's going to be a long time. Yeah, it's going to be a long time. I think it's going to... Until there's a vaccine. When there's a vaccine, we're shaking hands. Yeah. All goes away. All goes away when you shake, when the vaccine comes out. But How long? I don't know. 18 months. Okay, we put 18 months. We're down to masks. 17 months, and that's How the quickest they say. in the grocery store? Plexiglass? Masks. Oh, masks at the grocery store? Uh 
I think our country start. I think there's a lot of people that start taking this. They start taking and doing it more often. I think there's going to be, you're going to see a lot more. No, it's definitely you know, more every every day. Every day, right. No, but I think even when this all goes away and we got a vaccine, I say there's a ton of masks on people's faces. It's going to look like, you know, so basically what China and Japan have been doing because of their yeah. pollution. I think people are going to take it as this is kind of the way it's going to go for now. They're going to start wearing masks. The gloves, I don't know. This guy. Those might go away. Yeah, but as soon as a vaccine comes out, well, it'll probably change back to normal two years from now. That's my guess. But uh, Bunker Rake's cups are going to be upside down. People are going to complain when they have to reach in further um, because they're going to say, I liked it when it was like that. How long until Par West makes a cup that's just I think oh, by overseed? I think, yeah, or they just paint, them or now. they just paint them the way they are, fully around, you know, white. Mine are gray on the on the side. Yours are powder coated the whole way around. Not all, I, of them, yeah. But I think that's the way it goes for the look. Uh, bunker aches, no way. The flag stick thing. Um, my guess is it stays kind of the way it is. You'll still see people some pull it out, but when they've changed the rule and you could keep it in. I remember for the first month, yeah, you it, it was everybody left it in. Yeah, everybody left it. it in. I don't like it. I'd love, I like to pull it out. Um, you pull it out. See the whole, stick. Huh? It's your own stick. Yeah, yes, it is my own stick, but who knows who touched it? And plus, I don't want to be seen as that guy. But make your crew guy go touch it tomorrow morning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he's got gloves on. <laughs> yeah, see? It's all over right then. Yeah. We've just talked about how it is. The whole thing is, I don't know if debunked is the right word, but the idea of wearing all your gloves, wearing all your masks and everything else is over the minute you touch anything and don't change your glove. It's over. I I think it's interesting. I I think everybody's starting to, I mean, my opinion doesn't matter, but as people wear masks, it almost promotes you touching your face. Yeah, I see people adjusting it constantly. Yeah. Or, you know, people that wear eyeglasses. I uh, had a couple come into the golf shop the other day. They both had eyeglasses on, and you could tell it was bugging them. The fact that glasses weren't fitting correctly on their oh, face. that they typically didn't wear eyeglasses. Right, and I've heard, you know, it fogs up their glasses, so they don't like that. And so here these people are. They're in there. They're trying to do the right thing. I'm going to wear the mask. I'm going to wear the gloves and everything else. These things fog up my, you know, my glasses are getting fogged up where they're uncomfortable. So they have the mask below their nose. Game over. Man, throw the mask know. throw the mask out you've just wasted your time it's below your nose you're breathing it in yeah i probably shouldn't speak to that but i don't i don't know how much more the mask is for your protection or the fact that you might have it and you're just protecting everybody else by not right by wearing it yeah, yeah. i again i just right like the do. idea of it but if it's not done 100 percent, right. it's over uh-huh so saw a lady at the gas station the other day she had her gloves or mask on she gets out she puts the nozzle in the tank uh, grabs her phone as her gas is pumping. The glove oh. is not allowing her to use the phone, so she takes her mask down off her face with her teeth. With her glove, yeah, and then with her teeth removes the glove off her hand so she could play with the phone. <laughs> no, after she already got, and then hand. after that, that glove goes into her pocket, Dude, and then selection. grabs the nozzle with. I believe the ungloved, because now I think my tank was done being filled and I'm just watching this and pulls out the glove or the gloveless hand puts the gas, the nozzle back on the rack and she opts in. 
it's over. You know, you've tr- you efforted for how long? 30 seconds and it's over. You know, you've touched something. So we need a vaccine real fast because the, even the people that are trying their hardest aren't doing what needs to be done. So that's my two cents on that coronavirus. I know nothing about it. It's just my opinion. And that's how this whole thing's going to go. It's all going to be opinionated. If we don't get our facts right, don't come smashing down <laughs> on us. Um, we're doing our best. And uh, if we do screw up something, uh, please, you got the chance. We have an email address. It's from the jingweeds at gmail.com. You can email us with questions, thoughts, anything you want. Uh, maybe a question. We might start up a question of the day. You know, uh, we may pick something or a uh, kind of a uh, agronomy tip of the week we may do. Uh, we're just kind of throwing out some ideas. We are also on Twitter at uh, from the jingweed at f jingweed. Um, and we're also on Instagram at from underscore the underscore jingweeds. Um, I'm starting to transition my, I had an Instagram that was DC underscore greenkeeper. It was kind of for the golf course. I posted all the agronomy stuff. That's all I ever did on it. Um, I'm going to segue that and we'll pretty much manage the, from the jingweeds Instagram and, uh, you have the license to put up whatever you want on there. It'll probably be a little bit more of our life behind the scene, also along with uh, golf course maintenance and what we're doing at our golf courses and what other people as we travel around and we try to play golf as much as we possibly can. Me and you have been playing once a week, um, either my place or your place. Now that you don't have any outside play, we're going to have to sneak on to somebody else's golf course. We've had a couple side games um, as uh, some of you may know, we do have a small league that we run in the summertime. It's uh, superintendents, assistants, um, and some any vendors. Crew any crew members. Any crew, but we have opened it. That's how it kind of started. It's called Hack Attack. Um, we do invite any of the crew members that can make it out. It's just a weekly skins game. We go around to golf courses around the valley. Um, playing at each one we try to get 25 30 guys at each one Uh, we sometimes can get 40 at some of the quote-unquote nicer clubs i've heard that thrown out there that guys don't like playing unless it's a nice club uh, which i think is bullshit i think every club is nice they are all unique in their own little way and for you know guys that you know some of the assistants out there or even crew members it's really nice to go play another golf course see other things I know when I was at Desert Highlands and first started out, I was a spray technician and I got involved in Hack Attack. It was awesome going out and seeing some of these other high-end clubs uh, that were around the area. But then it was really neat to go back to that little mom and pop, what my golf course is, or something a little bit lower end uh, and just seeing what they're trying to do. Um, Those guys, I will always kind of say they're, they're the true grass growers, the ones without the money. Without the big crews, the ones that are out there working themselves, uh, those guys are doing it the old school way. They don't have the money to spray out with these chemicals. They don't have money to buy new equipment every year. Um, and it's cool to see what those guys are trying to do with what they're given. Um, and some are pulling off some amazing work uh, with what they do. So, uh, you know, don't always kind of look down on those uh, lower end golf courses because, hey, they're a business too and they're just trying to do their thing and make the game available to everybody and uh, that's what we're going to try and do on this podcast to try to reach out to everybody um not only superintendents this isn't just for you guys 
Um, hopefully we're going to get a lot of information that is new to you guys as we get some interviews. We'll get some guests on here. We'll run with that a little bit. Um, and, uh, you know, but really I hope to reach the broader audience that really wants to know what me and you do for a living, what, uh, thousands and thousands of guys do behind the scenes. Um, all the crew members give you guys an insight of what that's like working on a golf course. Um, and also it's going to get to, um, probably some hard listening for some people, you know, there'll be some cuss words when we get talking about just our daily lives, uh, there'll probably be some days that we're sitting here doing this podcast and we'll be cranking beers while we're doing it. Um, and I hope that uh, you out there that like to enjoy and uh, take down a few pops yourself, you'll pop us on and drink along with us and uh, we'll have a good time with it. And um, and we'll see how it goes. We're going to get one of these uh, once a week for here for a little while is the goal. Um, we do have uh, someone else on board. I do want to give him a shout He's behind the scenes back in Omaha, Nebraska. He'll be doing a lot of our editing. It's uh, Andy Cutler. It's Dan's brother. Uh, thank you, Andy, for joining the crew. You're going to be huge help for two dudes <laughs> that grow grass for a living. Um, trying to talk in these microphones and deal with this computer and then try to edit it later and make it sound quality enough for you guys to listen to. He is going to be a huge help. So uh, I'd like to welcome you, Andy, to the show um and uh, at some point we'll get you on and we'll have you zoom in or something and we'll get you locked in here and we'll get you uh get the listeners to know who you are um so on that um i guess we're going to close up here the first episode from the jingweeds uh, i'd like to uh, thank everybody for listening again i'm matt and i'm dan and thank you very much we'll see you next week see you guys love you mom and dad <laughs>